maybe he's doing something where he doesn't text you throughout the week and then text you on a Friday and you're like, fuck boy, fuck boy, fuck boy. Right. Mm-hmm. I look at that and be like, okay, maybe, maybe absolutely. But like, let's take a step back here. Maybe for instance, let's do empathy here. Maybe he was in a relationship previously and he was shamed for calling her on a Tuesday or texting her too often. And she was like, yo man, you're too thirsty. Like, why are you being this guy? And he internalized that. And now he thinks it's wrong. Mm-hmm. So he only reaches out on a Friday. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of Interstates and Heartbreak. I cannot wait to introduce today's guest. I have Case Kenny. He is the Chicago-based host of the Apple Podcasts Top 20 podcast, New Mindset Who Dis. He's also a recording artist, DJ, and a producer creating dance music guided meditations, which, I mean, that sounds so intriguing. So I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to check that out. And he is the creator of best-selling mindfulness journal, The New Mindset Journal, The Dating Workbook, Single is Your Superpower, and The Anti-Anxiety Journal, Unbothered, as well as Unbothered Candles. Case, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. I've been super excited about this. I've heard you on previous podcasts. I've listened to your own podcast, and I just cannot wait to dive in today for today's discussion. Cool. Well, I'll try to avoid saying the same things I've said in the past. I'll try to come up with some (laughs) new material for you. (laughs) I mean, I know you have plenty to cover, but yeah, let's just dive right in. And I feel like one question you must get a lot is how you got started with this career path and just like a little bit about your background and what inspired you to start talking about all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. I get that a fair amount. And and it's funny. I mean, I never set out to do this by any means. It's not like I sat down one day and was like, I want to be a mindfulness podcaster, or I even want to be a podcaster, or I want to be in the self-help space. Never was even on my radar. Always wanted to be a writer. Always wanted to be influential in that sense. But I mean, I started the podcast like three years ago when I was 29, tail end of a breakup. I was like, who is Case? What am I doing? Who is Case outside of a relationship? Who is Case outside of a job? And I was like, let me challenge myself. I've been writing online for a long time. I'd never written about self-development topics uh, per se. But I was like, let me do this. Let me figure this out. So I was like, I'll I'll choose a medium that's a little bit more challenging, a little bit more vulnerable too. So I was like, I'll I'll try a podcast. And I'll talk about mindfulness. I'll I'll talk about the things that I myself want to figure out. And I'll give my perspective on what I've learned. So I did. And I got lucky. It kind of blew up and, and went from there. And now I just like... I just follow what people tell me is helpful. And I just keep pulling on that thread. And you know, it led me to do dating content. And it led me to create journals, which led me to create a business, which led me to do even more of this. So it's kind of... It's been one of those things that's like kind of led me here as opposed to like I wanted to get here. And now I love it. I'm like so incredibly privileged to be able to do this for a living and have it help other people, which is the most you know reciprocal thing in the world. And I always joke that the podcast is my therapy. Like the podcast is for other people, but it's also very much for me. Like every time I sit down twice a week and go through these topics, I am benefiting from it. So what greater job do I have in life where I could have financial freedom through it? It could help other people and it helps me. It's pretty great to be able to say that. 
Yeah, that's so powerful. And I definitely resonate with a lot of what you said. I also started my podcast at 29 and I feel like I was going through this period of like not post breakup, but dating burnout. And after I started editing, I definitely felt like, oh, this is really helping me reflect on a lot of things that I hadn't been really cognizant of in my own dating life. So I totally get what you mean about it being your own self-therapy. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I encourage everyone to go to therapy. I'm like Mr. Therapy 101, but for me, it's like I, I do it all day, every day. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it is amazing though. Like what you like habits, the habits in your life, whether it's a podcast or journaling, or whatever, can really help you unearth things about yourself that you had long forgotten about or long accepted as truth. The assumptions you've made about yourself. So yeah, yeah, it's it's mind. I mean, obviously, I'm on board. Mindfulness, mindfulness is just self awareness. But it's it's amazing how it can take you from 1.0 of yourself to 2.0, and it's just amazing how much you can grow. Mm-hmm. I think we assume that once you're in your 30s, you're kind of done growing. It's like no, not no, even close. Like the version not. of Case Kenny at 33 is not who I was when I was 23, of course. But it's also not who I was when I was 30. Yeah. So it, that makes me excited about life. Yeah, agreed. It's like there's unlimited potential, I guess, as long as you're just willing to tap into it. So I agree. I guess you must be extremely familiar with this. Like, even since when you started the podcast back in 2018, I feel like dating podcasts have blown up. There have been so many more discussions around dating. People are a lot more open about it. And I think there are a lot of pros and cons to that, mostly pros. I think it's great that there are so many additional resources to people who are seeking guidance in their love life. Like, I feel like my approach to dating, my understanding of like what I was going through and feeling truly changed after I'd kind of like gone through this breakup. I started listening to dating podcasts for the first time. And I was like, oh, the experiences that I'm having are being validated by other people. But I feel like with that, like increased exposure to the dating world comes like misunderstanding of terms that weren't largely discussed prior. So like, a lot of people throwing around buzzwords like narcissism or like love bombing, like sociopath and like Mm. maybe misattributing it to behaviors that aren't really as serious as people want to make them out to be. Yeah. So I guess I'd love to hear your perspective of like, do you think that as a society, we're throwing these out too often and maybe misattributing serious behaviors to people who are just like kind of vaguely shitty, but like overall harmless? Absolutely. And it's tough. I wish I could be like, yes. And that's the platform I stand on because I very much agree that. (laughs) So I'll I'll start there. Yes. Actually, it's funny. I was doing a a podcast yesterday with a woman and I'm off the top of my head. I don't remember her name. I pull it up, but she was talking about how her therapist was telling her about this term called, and I wrote it down because I can't say it. It's called catastrophizing, making something a catastrophe that's not. Namely, oh, this this person is, you know, love bombing me or breadcrumbing me or whatever to fit this narrative that isn't necessarily true. So to your point, yes, we're very influenced by culture, almost to the to the sense that we force narratives on people and experiences that aren't necessarily relevant or true. So absolutely, I, I think sometimes we become a little misguided in that sense. But then I also have I have conversations and I think about terms like trauma, for instance. Trauma is a very dramatic word, of course. And 10 years ago, if someone said you went through trauma, people would be like, oh, okay, well, like physical trauma or like some kind of very abusive something. And I think we become much more accepting of a society to say that trauma can be purely emotional. And that's great. And I think mm-hmm. we need to respect people who say they've been through traumatic emotional experiences. And that's a fact. So it's like, I want to challenge people who try to fit narratives, but I would never want to challenge someone who says they've been through trauma of some kind. So it's like, I wish I could be all on something. 
but it, but it's so true. Like dating podcasts. I mean, you think about dating podcasts though. It's like <laughs> everyone has an agenda. It's entertainment in a sense. They're trying to blow up in a sense. And you know, I talk about all these topics as well. I talk about breadcrumbing, ghosting, situationships, narcissism. I've done them all. I try to approach it in a much more empathetic sense in that, you know, someone who fits that Mm -hmm. bill isn't necessarily doing it intentionally or maliciously. What in their past leads them to think that that's the right way to approach you Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Um, I think there's this growing trend of me versus them, us versus them. And I don't like that. It just doesn't make me, it doesn't make me feel good about myself. And I try to choose the more redeeming option. So I think anything, whether it's listening to a a dating podcast or reading a self-help book or reading something by my, by Mark Manson or whoever, Jay Shetty or whoever it may be. I think it's like, we just need to balance it with our own perspective. It's like, that's their truth. That's their perspective. Thank you. Is it mine? Well, I don't know. Let me figure it out. And I think that balance is going to be much more compassionate for us in the long term, rather than just taking someone else's perspective as fact and going from there. Yeah, I totally agree. And I feel like another buzzword recently has been main character energy. And so it's like, if we're all viewing ourselves as the main character of our lives, which we should to a degree, (laughs) but like, you know, you're not going to consider that perspective of someone else. Whereas I think as I've had to reflect and like, maybe some guests have questioned me and called me out on things. It's like, yeah, have I been perfect throughout my dating experience? Absolutely not. Like I've definitely grown Maybe if someone were to have a dating podcast and talk about some one specific thing that I did, they might have a less than perfect story, but I would hope that I wouldn't be defined by that one incident. 100%. I mean, that's great. I mean, I always, anytime I do a dating podcast, I'm always like, all right, today I'm going to talk about ghosting. Mm -hmm. Before we start, I just want to say that I've ghosted before. And here's probably why I did it. Like anyone who acts blameless in any sense in dating is 100% lying. There's no one who's been yeah. perfect in dating. Absolutely not. No, so no I think way. we need to drop that. We need to stop looking to the coaches and the gurus and the experts as flawless people. And I don't know why anyone would want to present themselves that way anyway. That's less relatable. Like I never understood that. Oh my God. Like, why would I want to listen to someone who's perfect? Because for one, I know that's not true. It's <laughs> so already I'm a little skeptical. And for two, mm-hmm. I want to listen to someone who's learned through mistakes. Like, that's what I want. So I'm excited for the time we're in. I think we're kind of over the unrelatable expert guru era. I think we want fallible perspective. Mm -hmm. So I try to offer that. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And to use like a dated pop culture reference, it's like, I think back to old superhero movies and I was always like, what's the appeal of Superman? Like, cool. He's like flawless, infallible. Like that is not an interesting character to me. It's like, I want to hear about like the Batmans, like someone who's a little grittier has like a past and like has still come on top, but like you can kind of see their journey and like learn from their mistakes and kind of make judgments for yourself as you go along. So I'm the same, same way. with dating yeah. experts. I love that analogy. Yes. Yeah. Same. <laughs> so I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the buzziest word of all. And like you said, I talk about all these things in my podcast too. And so I feel like I find myself throwing this around like, maybe calling someone like a fuck boy or like fuck boy behavior or fuck girl behavior. Cause I do think that it can apply to any gender. Yes. So I guess like, when do you think someone is actually deserving of this label? And do you feel like you have a personal definition of it that you think is fair? Yes and no. I mean, it's like sometimes <laughs> people are annoyed with me cause I don't give yes or no answers, but I think that's disingenuous. I think yes, if there's a pattern of intentional behavior and those are the key elements, intentional, although it's tough to prove intentionality, but intentional and pattern. Yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I've done many episodes on fuck boy, fuck girl, 
general genre. And it's, you know, in my mind, it's just someone who is intentionally, emotionally manipulative. It's tough to prove that sometimes. I think all we can rely on is our intuition and any evidence we can bring forth. But I think, yeah, people are deserving of that title if it's helpful for you. I don't think it's always that helpful. But sometimes for humans, it's helpful to put language on things. Language is important and it helps us define right and wrong. It helps us to define, it helps us create closure, right? So I'm all on team language, of course. But yeah, I think it, it's, it requires a, a cycle of that behavior. You know, I, I talk a lot about the you know, application of empathy, right? So let's say like a woman is dating a guy and he starts to be this fuckboy type guy. Maybe he's doing something where he doesn't text you throughout the week and then texts you on a Friday. And you're like, fuckboy, 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 right? Mm-hmm. I look at that and be like, okay, maybe, maybe, absolutely. But like, let's take a step back here. Maybe, for instance, let's do empathy here. Maybe he was in a relationship previously and he was shamed for calling her on a Tuesday or texting her too often. And she was like, yo, man, you're too thirsty. Like, why are you being this guy? And he internalized that. And now he thinks it's wrong. Mm -hmm. So he only reaches out on a Friday. Throwing it out there. I'm not team make excuses for behavior, but I'm, I'm team apply empathy before we apply labels. And then if you could look through that lens... Before we jump to conclusions, we're going to arrive eventually to a much more informed conclusion that allows for closure. Close that door and we move on, as opposed to jumping intuitively to something that might not be true because it fits a narrative that positions you versus them. So I think it's that's the order. It's observation, it's empathy, then it's conclusion, yes. not conclusion first. hundred percent. And I love that because I feel like it goes back to the importance of communication because in the example where this girl's like, he only texts me on a Friday, he's obviously a fuck boy, she could then call him out and say like, you're such a fuck boy for only doing this versus approaching him and being like, Hey, I really would love if we could be a little bit more mindful and like proactive about planning things. Like, why is it that you only text me on a Friday? And then she could get that understanding in that context. That's great. That's great. Yes. See what's so difficult about that? Yeah. But, but that requires you to not arrive at the me versus him mindset, which I think people are much more apt to arrive at first. Yeah, That's human nature. People, it's like if someone isn't giving you what you want when you want it and you feel slighted or disrespected, we're defensive. So we're going to create a narrative very quickly that's they're manipulative, they're malicious. Mm -hmm. I'm not, they are, therefore this way. But I think if we can practice a bit more compassion for ourselves, it's really, it's for ourselves um, by way of for them then we don't have to do that. But it's difficult. It's, it's absolutely difficult. So I love everything you're saying because, I mean, this is challenging narratives. This is challenging assumptions that media, social media, other influencers are perpetuating. And they're not bad people by any means. Of course not. But they've learned in their lives why this is true. And then they're repeating it. And that's fine. But I think everything, anything we hear in life should be taken with a gigantic grain of salt. Like what's true for one person is not true for another person. I always give the silliest example of the one woman who needs her man to post her as his woman crush Wednesday. Another woman looks at that and thinks it's the silliest thing in the world. <laughs> but to that first woman, in her mind, it's totally logical and 100% a need for her. So who are we to shame her? And who are we to shame the person who doesn't care at all? We can't. We're, we're all wired differently. And so the takeaway from that isn't necessarily the judgment we pass on others. It's the judgment we pass on ourselves. What are the truths that we're that we live by? Are they ours? Or did we borrow them from Thought Catalog or Instagram or Case Kenny? Who knows? Like it is what it is. So I just want to encourage everyone, of course, to come up with the truths that are true to you. 
it's just going to serve you <laughs> better. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I feel like that transitions so well into owning your standard because I feel like what causes people to label someone as something negative is because they are not meeting your standard. And so then you get reactive and you lash out in some way, you talk shit about them to your friends over brunch, whatever it may be. And I feel like, you know, you have some really great work out there and some really great episodes about like what it means to own your standard and like what that should look like. And so I would love to talk to you about like what you think it actually means to own your needs and your standards in a relationship. For sure. I've done many episodes on this. I don't even remember what it's sometimes funny. I do episodes and I I have no recollection of what I talked about because I'm very in the moment. But thinking about that question today, it's like to live your standard, it all comes like a standard is derived from experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like it has to be. It's that's tough. That's why it's like I guarantee like I always talk about people who are in their late 20s or 30s or 40s and they're bemoaning the fact that they haven't gotten it right. Well, I'm like I'm telling you for a fact linearly that as you've gotten older, your standards have become more concrete and higher. And that's by necessity because standards are driven by experience. When you can look at your life and say, "I have a standard that is this and it is because of this experience." There's a connection between the two. That's the ultimate way to define a standard. It's different from someone who is just picky because they've read an article that you should, you bring all this to the table and you're this and you're that. And I think that's great, but there's no necessarily experience that taught you that. The ultimate standard is unfortunately usually a bad experience that gave you proof of why that standard's true. So I think that's the ultimate way to come up with a standard. It's to look back and say, I had this relationship where I was, I was treated this way, or it didn't go this way, or I, I settled in this way. And therefore I have this standard. That's the ultimate standard. And I would say that's how you become selective and not picky. So that's one. And then two, it's like, okay, well, now that you have a standard, what's the narrative you're saying? Whether you're faith-based or you believe in karma or believe in the universe, whatever it is, are you going out there and are you repeating? There's really two options, the story you tell. Are you telling a story about how you've been disrespected in your past, how frustrated you are with people who aren't serious, all the fuck boys that are out there, whatever. Is that the story you're telling yourself? Or are you telling yourself about your standards? Are you saying, no one is serious about dating. Everyone on dating apps is a flake. Or are you saying, I can't wait to meet that one person on a dating app who's genuine and loves me for me. And I'm so excited for that because I deserve it. Mm -hmm. Two narratives, both are entirely plausible, but the latter is one that makes your your standard true. Like I just think it's funny sometimes how we expect to, to repeat a certain narrative to the universe and expect a different result. If we're constantly saying, no one is serious, then how do we expect to find someone who's serious? Like, I don't, there's not like causation between the two necessarily, but it's like eventually you're going to get delivered what you believe in. So I think it's that's the whole connection between standard is what in your life proved the standard. And then how can you repeat that as a narrative to yourself or others through writing, whatever it may be, and see that come true as opposed to continuously talking about what you don't want to happen? Yeah. I love that. And I feel like in the case of the former, where you just say everyone's like this, that's when people come across as bitter. And that makes dating so much harder because you project this negative energy. It makes you less fun to be around. There's like a self-fulfilling prophecy around it in a way. And I feel like people will often reflect back to you what you are putting out there or what you're already projecting on them. Because if you're kind of like, oh, you know, this person doesn't have any expectations of me anyway then I feel like you're kind of internally less motivated to prove them wrong and to like be the best version of yourself while dating. Yeah, 100%. 
the assumptions we have going into meeting people are 100% backed by the stories we're always telling. If you're going in looking for proof that someone is a certain way, you're going to find it. You're absolutely going to find it. So everything's a balance. It's a balance of self-respect and EQ and having your head on a swivel. But it's also balanced by not having expectations that fill a, you know, a form that wasn't delivered on in your past. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's that, that requires self-control and it requires restraint and compassion and all those things that aren't easy. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot that you're balancing when you're trying to date, I don't know, in a way that's like very mindful and to your point, compassionate. And so to that point, how do you communicate these standards to a person you're dating, particularly when you have these standards and you feel like the person is potentially a good match, but they're just like not meeting one aspect of a need that you have? I mean, the easy answer is to your point is communication, but there is this aversion to communication. And I always think it's curious, like, for instance, not to go the stereotype, but like I, a lot of women follow me and the most of my following is women. And I get a lot of DMs and I love talking to women and understanding their perspective and getting their questions. And one of the ones I get all the time is I just started dating this guy. I don't know what he wants. I don't know what his intentions are. And my, my question always is, well, have you asked him? And the majority of the time they're like, well, no, 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 that'll make me seem crazy. I don't want to seem crazy. And of course I get that. Because there is a world where a guy would be like, it's date three. Why are you talking about my intentions? Relax. But I think to our point here about language, I think that question is totally appropriate. Like, for instance, yeah, I'm dating someone now. But previously, when I was going on a lot of dates, like in my 20s, the first question out of my mouth on date one was, hey, so what are you looking for? What's going on? What do you want? Like casually, not like shine a light in their face and interrogate <laughs> them. Just be like, hey, what's up? What's going on? What's going on here? And of course, that person could lie and that person could not be truthful. But at least ask it. I don't know why there's aversion to communicating truths, communicating standards. It's all about language. It's all about delivery. It's about body language. It's about all those things. You could do it in a really cheerful, optimistic, not serious way. But for some reason, when it comes to relationships, we get all serious. Like We get all stern. And I don't think it needs to be that way. Maybe that's just me. But I, I think it's communication all the way. You could absolutely say that on a first date or a second date. If you're not getting what you want, you could ask why. You could ask what you need. Like, And if someone balks at that, if someone shames you for it, well, now you've got the, the best answer in the world that they're not capable of delivering on it. So either way, you win. So, But it's awkward. It's awkward. So maybe that's the aversion we have. Yeah, I feel like it's super awkward. And I feel like this is something even I've had to unlearn and still in the process of unlearning. You brought up you know, that women are worried about seeming crazy. And this other male podcaster that I listened to, he said before that labeling women crazy has gotten guys out of so many things because it is kind of like this societally ingrained fear that it's like, if you come across as too needy, they're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're clingy and that they're going to pull away. And so I feel like it's kind of unlearning this narrative that you need to wait for the guy to initiate everything. And again, it's not something that I have completely mastered myself. I feel like, you know, there was a part of me when I was dating earlier who would be like, if I don't bring these things up, like maybe eventually he'll wonder why I haven't and it'll like make him want to commit more, which I understand. Like, as I'm saying it out loud, that's not a healthy approach to things at all. But yeah, I just, I think it's very difficult to kind of undo like the way society is kind of ingrained these gender roles in our minds. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I get that for sure. I mean, I think ultimately, like any conversation around communication or not wanting to seem too eager or not wanting to get overly attached before it's clear that reciprocation is is what's going to happen. It's like that always leads to the idea of you know chasing and convincing. And it's like 
holding yourself back, not being truthful, changing your approach. Ultimately, you're changing who you are in order to get them to a certain outcome that you want. Mm, And, you know, as much as we can sit there and be and rationalize certain things like that, where it's like, well, this is just temporary, you know, uh, once we're in a more comfortable stage, then I'll be truthful. It's a slippery slope. Like the, the second you start muting yourself or changing yourself, it's like, who's to say that's not going to become permanent? And then you've built a relationship on lies. And that sounds more serious than it is. But it's like, why would you want to change who you are to win someone's affection? Like, what does that say about you? And I think, you know, of course, anything as it results to like not wanting to seem over eager or getting too attached too quick. It's like step one, of course, is, is self-examination. Is are you acting out of, for instance, an attachment style? Okay, let's take time to understand that. But from there, in fact, I just did an episode on this, this idea of labeling ourselves easily attached. Like I get too easily attached or I get attached too quickly, right? And my whole point with that was if you've done the inner work and you understand you're not acting out of fear, you're not acting out of fear of abandonment, you're not acting out of an anxious attachment style, good. Okay, you've done the inner work. You're at least self-aware of what you're doing, why you're doing. And then we got to get rid of that label. You're not easily attached. All you are is emotionally honest. And if you're acting out of emotional honesty, why would you ever shame that? Why is that something to ever hide? And if someone does, well, then you've got a great answer of why you might not be compatible. So I'm not like encouraging everyone to like just go all in. There's There's EQ. There's just social norms that should be followed that make people comfortable. Of course, let's be pragmatic here. Mm-hmm. But like, don't go stage five. But at a certain point, it's like, you've <laughs> got to understand that changing your behavior, your emotional honesty, like, if you're emotionally dishonest with yourself, I think you're, you're heading in the wrong direction. No matter how you rationalize it as short term emotional dishonesty, it becomes long term, because it's training that other person to see you in a different way that's not true to you. So And ultimately, it doesn't serve you. To my point, if someone ditches you, is scared off by your emotional honesty, then good. Fantastic. You got to see it as the universe moving them out of your way as opposed to you messing up. Mm -hmm. Um, But but to our conversation, that is easier said than done. So I get it. It's tough. And I love that you said, listen to like your EQ and like don't go balls to the wall in terms of what you reveal. And I feel like some people might be like, okay, well, how do you tell like what's too far? And I feel like one good question to ask is like, if you're going to reveal something about yourself to this person you just started dating, like maybe ask yourself, are they even worthy of knowing this thing about me yet? You know, like it's not saying unpack all of your baggage, all of your trauma on date (laughs) one. It's really just like, yeah, if you have something that you want to express and you feel like it's appropriate for the stage of your relationship, don't hold back versus being like, oh, well, maybe I should like go out of my way to like throw this extra stuff at this person and see if it scares them off. Yeah. Oh man. There's a lot in there too. Yeah. I mean, it's like, we don't need to like trauma bonding, like bonding through shared, like you don't need to do that to enhance a relationship. Like that shouldn't be a requirement. Like, like the ultimate question though, I suppose is like, before you even get to that step of like wanting to share things or like thinking you need to, in order to progress the relationship or thinking that's what honesty looks like. It's like the ultimate question that I always joke about is that you should only date people you like. Yes. And it sounds obvious, but we forget that so often because if someone shows us interest, attention that they like us, suddenly we forget if we if they passed our test, if we like them. Yes. And that's the biggest thing that I think we get in trouble a lot. And like, so, oh my gosh, someone is nice, good looking, 
Uh, they're responsive over text. They follow up the next day. Wow, this is amazing. And you suddenly throw out the window because you've been through so many shitty experiences prior. The fact that maybe you don't, that's not enough for you because that should be the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. So we have to establish a bare minimum for ourselves that is more than nice, respectful, whatever physical attribute you're looking for. We, we've got to raise it beyond that. And I think if you start, if you use that as a starting point, you become much more intentional with why you would share what you want to share, what it is that you're feeling rather than, oh my gosh, he likes me, she likes me, therefore I'm in. Like I saw a quote the other day that's pretty devastating, to be honest. It's like, sometimes we only love people because they love us or something like that. I'm like, whew, man, that's brutal. So sad. Yeah, that kind of makes me sad. But it's the same, it's the same, <laughs> it's the same idea, right? And we've got to not get to that point. We've got to do everything in our power to not get to that point. And it starts on day one Yeah, with the self-awareness we have. Do I actually like this person or do they just like me? Okay, let's take it another level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> not to be a downer. It's so funny because I feel like so right now I'm like watching The Bachelorette and I feel like everything we're talking about is like antithetical to the whole principle of The Bachelorette where it's like date one, like as yeah. soon as you get a one-on-one, you oh need to God. unpack all of your trauma. And like, if you have a sob story, that's great. Make sure that you share it so that the lead can get to know you. And then just this question of like, do all of these people really fall in love with this one person? Or is it like, oh my gosh, like this is the ideal package and they're expressing some interest in me. So of course I'm going to buy for their affection. It's just like, oh man, not a good model. It's a great TV, yeah. not applicable to real life. Yeah, you just brought up everything that's wrong with like relation-based culture and media. I mean, yeah, you, literally that, literally that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch The Bachelor, but I know enough about it to know that that's not <laughs> that's not how we should not be. Not how acting. it should progress. That's not, that's not the <laughs> no. example that should be set for us. Definitely not. So I wanted to ask you about like standards versus preferences. And so I feel like with standards, you know, that's something that becomes non-negotiable. To your point, maybe because it's something that is you know, that was missing from a past relationship or something that you learned you need in a in a relationship going forward. But then you have like preferences. And so with the preference, I feel like it's something where it's like, this would be nice, but I could work around this for a person who treats me well. And to continue with a bachelor example, like maybe one of your standards is I need a partner who takes interest in things that I am interested in that are important to me. But then you have someone who largely does this, but then they're like, well, I know you like The Bachelor, Bachelorette. I'm not going to watch it with you. I feel like obviously that shouldn't be a deal breaker and that shouldn't be equated with like, oh, they're not taking interest in my interests as well. But like, how do you kind of like draw the line in a way where it's not something that's as black and white and as obvious to feel like, okay, I can sacrifice this and like work on this with this person versus it's a no-go? Huh. That's a good question. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Standards versus preferences. Well, I, I suppose a standard should be something that you could zoom out on like considerably. Like a standard ultimately should be you have a standard, you have an expectation for how you want to feel. I think that is it. It's not necessarily like the tangible representation of something, the way that someone watches a show with you or doesn't want to watch a show with you. It comes down to, for instance, in that case, you feel understood. And from there, it could go in any different direction. But it's like the, the ultimate standard is how that ma- person makes you feel. I think that with that expectation, you could be much more fluid as far as how that's delivered upon. Because yeah, I mean, let's, let's be real. Preferences get in the way of, of compatibility all the time. But it could also be because we're incredibly stubborn about them. Or 
we see a preference as a representation of worth, whereas yeah. it should be the way that they make you feel there. Of course, it, the, the line is blurred and it's probably not that easy to break through. But I think if you approach it that way, you can't always have your cake and eat it too. As long as you feel understood, but that person has their preference for how to spend their time media-wise, culturally, then you can understand it. But as long as you're delivered upon that zoomed out standard, I think that could be helpful. Um, that's, that's a good question. I haven't thought about that. The preferences idea. I think that was such a great distinction. The fact that it really should be based on how you feel and that you can't necessarily have a tangible representation of whether or not someone is owning your standard. It really is bigger picture than that. And I feel like that's something that can get blurred in our current dating culture, right? Where it's like, online dating, there's this feeling that there are just endless people to choose from. I feel like sometimes that can, A, cause paradox of choice, and B, it can also lead someone to decide that they're only going to look for someone who's like their perfect match. And I feel like that's a very flawed philosophy, but would love to get your thoughts of like, there even being a perfect match for someone and like how you can gauge compatibility outside of this really rigid set of rules. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I I think about that and it immediately makes me think about like, you know, I think it's great for people to be like, I deserve the perfect person. I think that's fantastic. And I think it's great to be patient and be like, man, look at all these people on this dating app. Clearly, there's there's got to be that perfect person out there for me. So I'm going to keep my standard high. I'm going to say no, 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 and so on and so forth. But I'm a little bit at war with the type of person who's like, I deserve the best in the world. And then I'm like, well, okay, cool. Like, what do you bring to the table? And they're like, well, I'm this and maybe that. And it's like, there's no d- distinct answer there. It's like, In order to say that you deserve this great person, which I think everyone has inherent worth, of course, but after your inherent worth comes worth that's derived from action. And I always talk about this idea of what do you deserve in life? Well, beyond basic compassion and respect, things that are inherent in just being alive, what you deserve is 100% derived from what you do and what you're willing to do. Like I always give the examples of like, in times where you feel worthless, in times where you feel unlovable, if you can sit down and say that you are willing to love, if you can sit down and say that you are willing to be honest, if you can sit down and say that you are willing to be consistent and truthful, then you absolutely deserve someone who loves you, who treats you right, who is honest and consistent with you. It's like, that is the comparison there. It's what you're willing to do. That's what you deserve in a partner. But if you sit down and you're just like, I deserve someone who's this, that, and the other, and you don't take a look in the mirror and understand if you're doing those things yourself, well, that's where we end up with this huge discrepancy. And that's where we end up with people who are constantly caught up in this cycle of grass is greener, or I deserve this, or I deserve that. And Mm -hmm. it's tough. It's like, it requires a lot of introspection. It requires us to really check our, our bullshit. You can't just say that you want the perfect person. If you want the perfect person, you've got to become the perfect person in that sense as well. I I did a chapter in uh, my dating workbook about, um, do you bring your milkshake to the yard? It's like, like, what do you you bring to the table? And not as as an exercise in like shaming yourself, but as an exercise often of realizing all the things you do bring to the table that you don't give yourself credit for. That's the redeeming angle here. I feel like I'm doing more complaining than usual, but like that's the angle here. You sit down, And you say, oh my gosh, like I deserve this person because look at all the amazing things that I actually do. Not in theory, not the things that I say I do, the things that I actually do. Yes, that is, and and here's my standard as a result. That is powerful and that is perspective. And then from there, you get out in in the dating world. Then I think it requires everything that we've been discussing, understanding the difference between that standard and your preference, understanding the pressure you might feel 
and so on and so forth. But I, I think there needs to be a distinction between what you want and what you do. And sometimes understanding that you do a lot of those things, it makes you powerful. It makes you much more resilient. Yeah. I have a friend and one of my girlfriends made our mutual guy friend write a list of 20 things that he brings to the table. And at first I think he was like, oh, you guys are joking. And we were both like, no, you actually really need to do this. This is a great idea. And then he did it and we all went to dinner and he showed us the list. And I was like, this was so great. And I feel like he had the perfect balance of things that make him a catch on the surface. Like, you know, if you're swiping on his profile, like, okay, like this thing might stand out before you get to know me. But then he also dove deep into the things that he, to your point, would bring to a relationship, the way that he would treat his partner, what someone can expect when they date him. And I was like, what a great thing to remind yourself of so that you just elevate that standard. And like, I do feel like he's actually had more success on the dating apps since writing that list. So I love that idea. Look at that. That's sweet. I, yeah, I did an exercise in my book like that too. It's like, we're so quick to come up with a checklist of what we want in a partner. We forget to do the flip side, which is exactly what you had him do. So I love that. That's powerful. Yeah. Even if it's just like a, a look in the mirror and a, and a sense of like, great job. I think that it gives you perspective that I think we're quick to forget because we're so focused on whether they like us or whether they choose us. It's like we forget whether one, we choose them and two, why we should choose them or not choose them. And it's because of all the great things that we bring to the table. Yeah, exactly. So I'd love to take a step back a little bit to like the early phases of dating. And so I feel like when you're gauging if you're compatible with someone, in your opinion, like how long do you think this should take? And I know you're going to say like, there isn't a set answer. I know it's not like, <laughs> oh, it should be two weeks exactly. Or it should be on your third date. But I feel like in general, like when you listen to dating advice, they're kind of two conflicting accounts. Like some people will be like, oh, you should definitely go on at least two to three dates with someone before you determine if you should move forward. And then other people will say, if you don't feel a connection right away, you should call it, like cut your losses and move on. How, when you were dating, did you kind of approach determining if this was someone worth pursuing or not? Yeah, it's tough because that advice, it's the, there's the camp of if it's not a fuck yes, it's a fuck no, there, there's all that stuff. Personally, in my life, it was two dates, two dates and go from there. Because I mean, I think it's very difficult to get a gauge on someone on the first date. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to you know have your best stories, your best everything on the first date and you need to dive into that second date. I'd say it's two, but then, I mean to your, your hypothesis there, it's like, yeah, there's never a right answer. It's, it's ultimately up to you. Like if you have to convince yourself to go on day three and beyond, I think you're approaching territory where you're, you're likely forcing it for yourself, but that's up to you. That's up to your standard of what are you looking for in that person? I think you should be looking for specific things in someone like not expectations, but things that like weren't delivered on previously, things that you know are extremely important to you. And using that as like your guiding light and then give it a day two to really see if those things are real. But yeah, I mean, I think we should have a bullshit meter that's on at all points. I think we should be assertive in every sense. And I think ultimately it's, there's never a right answer, but I think ultimately it's avoiding at all costs this idea that you're floating in the wind and you're waiting for them to express the next step. You're waiting for them to dictate whether this is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It's the whole idea of, you know, the quote, I don't know if it's mine or someone else I've been saying it for years. It's the idea is like, when you walk into a room, are you wondering if everyone likes you? Or are you wondering if you like them? The mentality is totally different between the two. And it should always be the latter. Respectfully, no one's better than anyone else. But that should be the mentality so that you're not floating in the gray, ambiguous, you have intention, you have an agenda, in a certain sense, 
and then you follow it. You don't wait for someone else to tell you what to do. You don't wait for someone to tell you if it's right or wrong. And to our conversation, you don't get blinded by the fact that they like you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's like that opening line in Katy Perry's firework. Like we're not plastic bags floating through the wind. Like there has to be some intention. There, there you go. Like, exactly. Yeah, take that action. To be avoided at all costs. No yes. plastic bag. <laughs> so I guess like to that point, when you were dating, do you feel like there was a benefit in dating multiple people to kind of like gain clarity around the connection that you have with someone? Or alternatively, do you feel like it can cloud things and make it more difficult to discern that? So for me, I never did that. I was never good at that. The idea of like having a roster or the idea of dating multiple people to make it really clear if that one person that you're also dating is right for you. Like Mm -hmm. I released an episode yesterday on this topic and I referenced this influencer who you like likely listen to and follow if if you're in this space. And she was talking about how she just got engaged and she was talking about how she knew this guy was the one like date Mm. three, but she kept going on dates with other people at the same time. I feel like I know who you're talking about. (laughs) I screenshot it. She did a Q and a, and I screenshot where someone said, were you still dating other people when you know, John was the one for you? And she said, yes. And then I couldn't find it the other day. So I missed out on her rationale as to why, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure she had her reasons and I'm sure it was very validated in her life. But for me, I was one, never good at that. And two, I see that as a, like a defense mechanism. It's like you're, a, mm-hmm. you're waiting for the very last moment to get attached to someone. Whereas yeah. I am team, put your emotional eggs in one basket when you're ready. Like, why are we so averse to that? And it's because we're averse to getting hurt, of course. But it's like, I don't understand why we're afraid of being emotionally honest with ourselves. If she knew that he was the one, what's the worst that could happen from stop dating those other guys? Okay, now you don't have a backup plan. And if this guy 180s you and hurts you, yes, you're going to be hurt. Yes, it's going to suck. But I don't understand this mentality where we always want a fallback plan when we know, she said, he was the one. What's the harm in going all in? Yes, we want to protect ourselves. But I think life is about respecting our honesty. Life is about respecting ourselves. So I think, again, it requires you to have done the work to understand why. But if you've done that and you have an answer, you should respect that. It just seems a little odd. That's kind of floating in the wind territory there where it's like, well, I'm just going to keep dating because maybe someone else will like me more. Who knows? You know what I mean? It's like, you like him. He's the one. Let's go. You decided that. (laughs) So that's my opinion. I'm not sure everyone agrees with me. I think some people are like, oh, you know, you need backup plan. You know, don't call it quits until it's very clear that he's on board or whatever. But it's ultimately like, who's driving? Is he driving? Are you driving? Are you both driving? Yeah. Are you sitting in the back seat? Where exactly are you? So that's kind of my take. That's totally fair. Yeah. And I do think to your point, it is fully a defense mechanism and just a way to kind of protect your heart and make you feel like you're in power. When in reality, it is more of a passive approach than just being like, I'm all in and like, let's see if you're on the same page. And if not, we move on. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, Because I think we miss place it as we think that continuing to date other people means we're in power. But I think the ultimate power move is to stop dating them and say, I have chosen you because you've chosen me. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, I have chosen you. Yeah. (laughs) So that's the ultimate. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I think sometimes we confuse what it means to be in control or active as opposed to passive. And I think in that sense, it's not the roster one. It's the, I am emotionally honest and therefore my actions are going to follow that. Yeah, for sure. I feel like, you know, a lot of people treat dating like Pokemon where it's like, got to catch them all. Whereas it should really be like, I choose you. And that's it. That's a children's game. We're adults. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I I like Pokemon. 
I mean, yeah, same, same. Well, I feel like we covered so much and I could talk to you all day. You have so much insight, but I feel like if anyone is looking for more, they can definitely tune into your podcast. They can seek out your journals. And so I'd love to hear if you have one closing piece of advice. And then also if you could just plug where people can find all of your resources. For sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. This was a great chat. It felt very, very natural and organic. Closing remarks. I mean, I'll probably give the one that I always give. It's like a little soundbite that I like, but it, it kind of encapsulates everything we've been talking about here, right? This idea of establishing truths for yourself, this idea of practicing empathy, this idea of challenging assumptions. It's just the one that I always repeat is there's no right way to live your life, but there is a wrong way. And the wrong way is to think that there's a right <laughs> way. And I say that a lot in my podcast, but it's so liberating to one, challenge how you were raised, challenge generational expectations, challenge the perspective of Case Kenny and any other influencer, whoever, Leslie, whoever it may be, challenge that. Come up with your own truth because what's right for one person isn't necessarily right for you. Be inspired by it all, but realize that just because that person is happy single, just because that person is happily in a couple, doesn't mean that you need to emulate them. Doesn't mean you need their blueprint and to follow it Mm -hmm. completely. Come up with your own. Use their perspective to enhance your own. Use their experience to come up with your own truths. And of course, use your own experience to come up with your own truths. But ultimately, it's the most liberating thing in the world to realize that there's truthfully no right way to do anything. There's no blueprint for it. You get to decide that. Yeah. And that's the opposite to our point of not being blown around in the wind. It's the the equivalent of establishing your own standards and living them, using your perspective to come up with your truth. So I don't know. That's always made me feel good because it is true. And it's really encouraged me to act in ways that are true to me, as opposed to falling in line with expectations. And yeah, I would say that. Love that. And then it's just case.kenny on Instagram or newmindsetwhodis.com or the New Mindset Who Dis podcast. Amazing. Well, thank you again. This was so great. And I definitely encourage anyone to follow Case. He has amazing inspirational like quotes and mantras, and it's just really empowering overall. So definitely give him a follow. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And as always, you can find the podcast at Interstates and Heartbreak, all spelled out on Instagram. And you can find me at Leslie Nope, L-E-S-L-I-E-G-N-O-P-E. Thanks again. Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.